I'm really excited about this episode because we finally learn what the Azkaban guards are. So we never have to hear that term again. Uh, Unfortunately, it also means we're exposed to Dementors, which are essentially depression in a physical form. They apparently hit you harder when you've lived through real trauma too, so it's pretty rough for Harry. And Ginny. Don't forget Ginny. You forgot Ginny, didn't you? Hi, and welcome to Belated Binge Harry Potter, the re-binge podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like Harry Potter, where despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through till my mid-twenties. Now we're going back to Hogwarts, deep diving what's on the page, answering some of the hardest-hitting questions in the fandom, like, what did Dumbledore know and when did he know it? Why does Harry only ever learn two spells, and are there any competent adults in the wizarding world anywhere. Today we continue our binge of the Harry Potter books with Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 5, The Dementor. The Belated Binge Podcast. Before we begin, there will be spoilers. This series wrapped in 2007. As in 2007. As in a whole long time ago. There will also be adult language. Use earbuds if you need them. Shout out to the bonus binge squad of Alex and Katie. If you want to get your own shout outs in every single episode, as well as access to bonus episodes and some other cool benefits, you can check out patreon.com slash belated binge. A lot of behind the mic bonus episodes have been dropping on there recently. And you get access if you're on Patreon. So in case you were obliviated or you got your Hogwarts letter late, let's go ahead and shove our faces in that white liquidy substance of our pensive. In chapters 3 and 4 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry was an outlaw on the run. Kinda. He also tripped, fell and called a bus for public transport, which I was unaware that that's how that worked. He thinks he might be seeing a death omen, potentially. Uh, He does, however, get to hang out in Diagon Alley by himself for a couple of weeks because, well, there's a what the Wizarding World believes to be a murderous lunatic on the run, escaped from prison, trying to kill him. So they want to keep him safe by giving him his own hotel room as a child and letting him loose in the outdoor mall of the Wizarding World. But everything goes fine, and he gets to meet up with Hermione and the Weasleys, and hilarity ensues with the twins and Percy, and then some fancy cars take them to the Hogwarts Express. And that's pretty much where we are now. Nope, that's not where we are now. I lied. Part of that happens in this chapter. Sorry, folks. Was doing that one from memory. I didn't have notes on it. Let's just do Priority Inc. chapter since I gave some of it away. This is the part where our wands connect. 
Not the tips, just the streams, so we can recap what went down in the chapter we just read. This week, chapter 5, The Dementor. It's morning at the Leaky Cauldron, and we're all getting ready for the train. Percy is pissed at Ron, and so is his girlfriend's picture, apparently. And Ron is pissed at Percy, so just a bunch of popping peas all, all around, which is wonderful for somebody who records audio as a passion project and always has to try to be cognizant of his pop filter and making sure that he doesn't have a bunch of going on driving people nuts. Probably edit that part out. The twins are proud of Ron for pissing off Percy. Well done uh, all around. Uh, Harry just kind of wants to confide in Ron what he has overheard Ron's parents talking about, as in Sirius Black wants to kill me, and he just can't get a word in. It kind of feels like the burrow took its little traveling party on the road, which should definitely be a world tour. Um, Perhaps like a traveling circus would be appropriate for this particular family. Ron and Hermione are fighting about Crookshanks, the cat, as the Ministry cars show up. Like, you know, Secret Service, ready to escort them to the Hogwarts Express. And the cars are magic, so that's a thing. Arthur becomes Harry's bodyguard until they reach the train. And then, of course, he tries to pull him aside to tell him that Sirius Black wants to murder him. And, of course, he doesn't do this when the two of them are actually alone going through the barrier he waits until they're all together again and the train's about to leave because we needed more suspense out of this harry takes us in stride doesn't make arthur say it out loud since he already heard it so you know it's fine he's fine with it after all one evil half-dead serial killer who's been trying to kill you since you're a baby i mean that that's not enough now we've got escaped, con, uh, convicted murderer per- portrayed to be a, an absolute lunatic. He's after Harry, too. And that's all good by Harry. I guess. Harry just wants to be sure, or Arthur just wants to make sure, that Harry's not going to go seeking Black out for himself. And this is where Harry's a little less brave. Rather, he takes this one on like a his one of I don't know his more dominant personality traits I guess uh he's confused is what's going on here he doesn't understand why Arthur would think he would go looking for black himself which is as we know a whole bunch of divination foreshadowing to the fact that he's going to learn later Sirius Black is his godfather and he was his dad's best friend So that might incite some rage in a teenage boy, probably. He's a teenager now. Woo! On the train, he fills Hermione and Ron in, and we get our introduction to a passed-out Professor Lupin. Must be right after a full moon. He's introduced as young, specifically, and we're reminded... That in the books, unlike the movies, where the Marauders are all aged up, old as hell to match Alan Rickman, Lupin is still young. Because James and Lily were barely old enough to legally drink in the United States when Voldemort hunted them down and murdered them. He's also very shabby. Ill-looking, 
and tired. Which probably doesn't mean anything, right? Right? Of course, Hermione deduced who he was and that he'd be teaching DADA while Ron, much like the movies, looks like an idiot. And the rumors that that particular job is jinxed, you know, lots of foreshadow. Foreshadow everywhere. Just foreshadow, five shadow, and six shadows all around. Would five, I guess five shadow is like Ron needed to shave. But we don't get any indication that at 13, Ron's quite ready for a razor. But the good news is that Harry finally gets to tell them about Sirius Black and all of that stuff. And they, well, they don't take it quite as great as Harry did. Harry was just kind of like, meh, we're good. It's cool. Oh, he wants to kill me? Nah, all right. Same guy that I just learned murdered like 13 people with one spell. That guy, that person right there wants to end my life like he did those 13 other people with one spell. I'm 13 years old and I'm all good with that. I guess. Hermione and Ron, not so much because they're not lunatics. And at this moment, the sneakoscope that Ron got Harry for his birthday, it's going crazy. Again, more foreshadowing. Why is it going crazy, kids? Say it with me. The rat is in Ron's pants. Or something. Very close to that. It's creepy when you think about it. So don't think about it. Then we're starkly reminded that this shit is written for children as Ron and Hermione start just gabbing about Hogsmeade and Ron's going on and on about candy. Hermione's obsessed with the history of the town or whatever and this is where Harry lets them know that he can't go and this is the biggest deal in the world. Worse than a murderer out to get you. Because again, these are children. And now Crookshanks is out and Scabbers is terrified. Obviously, because Crookshanks wants to murder the rat. Good on you, Crookshanks. And train ride. Dot, dot, dot. Lupin is passed out cold during all of these dots, uh, but it does help having him in the compartment when Draco comes calling for his annual bully Harry on the train scene because I may or may not be in love with you kind of thing. Maybe. Possibly. Who knows? Ron was ready to fight already, but Draco wasn't, as usual, and he leaves because teacher. More train ride! Dot. Dot. The dots are getting slower because the train is coming to a stop before they've gotten where they're going. And that's not where trains are supposed to stop. It's dark. It's cold now. And there's something super creepy moving and getting on the train. Neville stumbles in, which is great. Ginny stumbles in, even better. I had totally forgotten that they had stumbled in during this whole scene more the merrier everybody should witness what happens next lupin wakes up and starts to take charge 
just as the door is opening and a cloaked figure described as gray, slimy, and scabbed, which is disgusting. And it starts sucking in and the description of Harry's reaction gets intense immediately, even before he starts hearing the screaming. And Hermione is slapping him awake. Nobody else heard screaming. Nobody else passed out. Lupin starts passing out chocolate and explains that the thing is a Dementor. And this is our big reveal for Azkaban Guard after hearing that phrase over and over and over again to this point. And I'm really, really glad that that shit is over. That was the stupidest stupidest thing and Harry still just doesn't get what just happened and the crew kind of has to explain how he passed out when the Dementor came in Lupin got rid of the Dementor with some kind of silver something and that's going to obviously come back up again that silver something is a Patronus and we get the sense that it wasn't a fully fledged caporal Patronus in this instance because they kind of describe it as more of like a a silver wisp or something so it's unclear to me if at this moment maybe the animal form thing hadn't been thought of or if this is a maybe lupin can't just like do his full patronus at will or and this is what i think is probably most likely here um and i think what the fandom would tell you is that remus lupin's patronus was a werewolf right and he wouldn't want people to see and know that right so he's actually mastered his patronus to the point where he can shoot it off without it taking its form which is badass magicery, if you ask me. So, um, anyways, they they all kind of take turns explaining how they felt, uh, and there's a nod to Ginny looking nearly as bad as Harry felt, and this is a big like connection and clue between these two. Harry reacts this poorly to Dementors because. He's actually been through some shit, far more than Ron or Hermione or Neville, but Ginny? Ginny's been through shit too. I imagine that while Harry experiences the scream and the death of his parents, Ginny's reliving some part of being possessed by Voldemort and nearly dying in the Chamber of Secrets. She didn't fall off her seat, but she was shaking like mad, direct quote. And Ron's probably just sad, like, the time they missed the feast last year. So when you look at the sliding scale of impact, Harry and Ginny are the ones that feel this thing the most. And it makes sense, based off of the lives that they have lived, in comparison to the others. Harry starts to feel shame about this. And starts questioning, you know, why was he the only one to have such a strong reaction? Just as Lupin comes back and reminds him, eat the chocolate. Which apparently works. 
And here's where we take a quick like dive into the author's head for a second. Uh, the part that wrote an amazing book series, not the part that should stop tweeting. Uh, it's been said or confirmed or whatever that the Dementors represent depression. And that's the feeling that was being described by how they suck all the happiness out of you. And chocolate, as a remedy, is simply how people find comfort in chocolate in times of sadness, grief, and depression. It's kind of fun, to be honest. Like, as as fun as you can make the concept of depression. But it's fun to see that in this world... Chocolate actually has some element of like magical healing powers. Whereas in our world, obviously, people just like chocolate. And then somebody's going to be a total food snob or foodie or whatever those people call themselves. And well, actually, chocolate has something in it that releases endorphins that actually makes you feel better. Great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Call it magic. And the whole world makes sense again. Back to the book. Lupin addresses Harry by name. And Harry doesn't know how. And that is kind of awesome. Don't worry, we'll talk about them a little bit uh, as we get into this thing. They get off the train and they see Hagrid. They're not first years anymore, so they're coming to school in stagecoaches pulled by invisible horses. Best to forget about that one. Seriously, if I could, I probably would. I don't love this. Uh, And now, we're at Hogwarts, and Harry realizes that Dementors are at the gates. Nothing like Dementors to greet you on your first day back at school after summer break. There might be some relatable symbolism there. For some of us. Draco already knows Harry fainted on the train. And that's his new way of bullying him for the school year. That'll be fun. As he goes in on Ron, Lupin steps in. Thank you, Lupin. Of course, Draco's a smug douche about it, but it's still a professor. So he does back off. And now we're in the Great Hall. Or we would be. If Professor McGonagall didn't holler for Harry and Hermione. She's heard about the Dementor incident on the train... Probably a Lupin Patronus message, now that we think about it. So Pomfrey shows up to check him out, and she prescribes chocolate. Sweet. But Harry hates the extra, like, doting, and just convinces them that he's fine. He's fine. Everything's fine. Please, please leave me alone. Don't make me the center of attention anymore. Uh, And just as I was thinking to myself, why is Hermione here? Prof McGee asks Harry to wait in the hall, and it all starts to make sense again. This is the Easter egg behind uh, the Hermione course load and how she's going to be managing to be in all of her classes at the same time. I'd say forget this one, but apparently I already had. (laughs) But this is is a time-turner foreshadowing um, all over the place. And they all head back to the feast. And they missed the sorting hat ceremony. And that's two years in a row for Harry, who hasn't seen it since he was actually in it. It's kind of sad when you think about it. Harry's still obsessed with what people are going to think about him passing out on the train, which will be 
honestly a very annoying side plot throughout this book. And cue Dumbledore entrance and speech. He explains why the Dementors are there. He warns them not to try to leave even under an invisibility cloak as if that was meant for someone in particular. And there's also a warning that he gives to students not to give them reason to harm you. Which is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) This is a school. These things are literally stationed at a school and the only thing that you can arm the students with is don't give them any reason to harm you fuck this world is weird he also introduces lupin explains that he'll be teaching defense against the dark arts and also that hagrid is taking over care of magical creatures hence the monster book that's actually a monster and Harry describes Snape's face when looking at Lupin and recognizes it as sheer loathing. The same way he looks at Harry. For you Snape defenders at home, this is a grown-ass man who's a professor, an authority figure, to children, who shows clear hatred at a child and another professor because they remind him of bullying he received as a child. (sighs) Hagrid gets to teach now, though, because he's no longer a felon in the wizarding world, and he's stoked to be a teacher, which is awesome. There's a good feast, thanks from Hagrid, and bedtime caps off a, a, a whole chapter that's filled with new story and backstory and a reminder that Neville can't remember passwords which is going to be important because you know he's going to let a convicted murderer into the castle and into the Gryffindor common room and he's going to just be you know waking Ron up in the middle of the night with a knife because Neville can't remember his, his, his passwords but it's okay we'll get there we'll get there everything's going to be fine it's, it's all going to be fine. Eventually, you're going to be sad when that mass murderer dies. Okay, I want to take a minute now and talk about Lupin. If you heard my guest appearance on PuffCast recently, I shared a pretty rough and loose theory that I'm working on about Albus Dumbledore, particularly his big plan and his relationship to Harry throughout the books. You've heard me talk about the first book as a testing ground for his character and his skills, the second book being a bit more focused on the trio working together now that he knows he has a trio to work with too. Uh, And you might be thinking, what the hell does this have to do with Lupin? Well, if you heard me on PuffCast, you would have heard that I believe It was the end of book two that Dumbledore not only received significant pieces to the killing Voldemort puzzle that he's been working on for, I don't know, 30, 50 years, whatever it's been. Wow, you'd think he'd got more done by now. Anyways, a few of the high notes that he learned would be Harry is a parcel mouth, which he explains to Harry as a transfer of power from Voldemort, but what I think he actually believes is a connection between Harry and Voldemort, a piece of Voldemort within Harry, 
At this point, I'm not sure that he would be suspecting a literal horcrux inside of Harry, but it's coming a lot sooner than you think, and I think he's much closer to that conclusion than what the obvious uh, book story leads you to believe. Uh, he also confirmed that Voldemort used a horcrux and that there was more than one. Way back in the first chapter episode of this podcast, I think I mentioned my theory that he's already suspecting a horcrux as a possible way that Voldemort wasn't killed that very night in Godric's Hollow, and he knows for sure he isn't dead. He was also already particularly fierce about horcruxes as a subject and had already emptied the library of the books about them when he became headmaster. When Harry brings him the diary at the end of Chamber of Secrets, he knows exactly what kind of magic it is. He also knows that if it was the only one tethering Voldemort to life, it wouldn't have been used in that manner. Therefore, there's more than one. And that's not all just me speculating. He says so much to Harry later on in those um, Voldemort memory flashback scenes in Half-Blood Prince. But again, he's put these pieces together long before he brings Harry into the fold. That's kind of part of the reason that he's so polarizing in the fandom. He's got a bit of a lag before he lets Harry know what's going on, and he never really lets him know everything that's going on. But I, I could get sidetracked all day, all night, whatever, talking about why it actually makes sense that he didn't just tell Harry everything, you know, when he was like 12, because how can you... One, I don't think he learned everything yet. I think he's putting pieces together, like I said, as we're piecing this... Uh, his story together, his master plan together, he's learning too. So he can't even give Harry all of the information as early as people think that he should. And also, how do you tell a kid that young, yo, you gotta die. But enjoy life and make sure that you do all these things before you go so that everybody else can reap the benefit because you're gonna be dead. Yeah, you can't really have that conversation with a child. Anyway, another big thing that he learned was Harry's loyalty, particularly to Dumbledore himself. That's what called Fox to him in the Chamber of Secrets. That's what allowed Harry to actually survive and save Ginny. And that is what started to change Dumbledore's relationship to Harry and his feelings for Harry as a person. Again, this part is me speculating in my opinion. This is where I believe that Dumbledore started to care for Harry as a human. He still knows that Harry is the key chess piece to defeating Voldemort, but he's also a young boy with feelings and a heart and loyalty. And this, this is where Lupin comes in. Dumbledore has been getting a new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor every year for like 30 years or some odd shit, which seems statistically impossible, but that's what it says in the books, so okay. I don't believe that his choice for this year being the one singular person left from Harry's parents' inner circle is even remotely close to an accident. He's just a couple months removed from Harry's display of loyalty in my presumed change-of-heart moment, 
and now he chooses the one person he has available to him to make a parental connection with Harry. The one person who knew his father personally. The one person who would look at Harry and see a reflection of James and Lily and not loathe him for it. <clears throat> Snape? Harry's still an asset. He still needs to test him. He still needs to train him. He still needs to use him in a lot of ways. But now, he's giving him family. Lupin is that family. And this chapter is the first time that Lupin has seen Harry, presumably since he was a baby, under a Fidelius charm. And you have to just imagine the sense of pride and joy he felt when he woke up in that train compartment to see Harry right there, right in front of him. The boy he could now finally see, touch, talk to, and a spitting image of the friend that he lost. Thanks, Dumbledore. Let's give out some house points for the chapter. In true Hogwarts fashion, these points are completely subjective with no oversight and fully at my discretion. This week, I'm keeping it pretty simple. I'm giving Lupin 25 points for making the Dementor go away. I'm giving Fred and George five apiece for having Harry's back about fainting and not giving him shit like everybody else. Even Ron and Hermione weren't like overly supportive when it happened. They were trying to kind of figure out what the hell was going on. The twins, no context, no information, didn't even flinch. They just said, don't worry about it. Fuck Draco. Fred and George are awesome. I'm going to take some points away from Draco. Ten of them for sucking. And Fudge, 20, for putting the Dementors there in the first place. Now before we go, we got to expecto plot change this thing. Let's rewrite Harry Potter one small change at a time. The expecto plot change question from this chapter is, what if Harry, Hermione, and Ron sat in a different compartment? on the Hogwarts Express. How could that have changed the events in the chapter? What about the series? I'll share this question with a video across social media. Instagram, Facebook, Reels, YouTube, Shorts, TikTok, all that. It'll also be on Twitter, and you can respond with your thoughts on any of those platforms at Belated Binge or as a voicemail on my website, belatedbinge.com, and you will have a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode of the podcast. With that, we've reached the end of this episode of Belated Binge. If you enjoyed this, please follow and subscribe on whatever podcast player you're using. And if it supports a rating and review option, please leave one. And if you're so inclined, check out the additional benefits available on patreon.com slash belated binge. There's links to all of the things in this episode's description on your pod player right now, including a free Facebook group that you can join and talk to other bingers uh, that are Potterheads too. Thank you for listening and telling all your Potterhead friends that their new favorite podcast should be Belated Binge Harry Potter, no matter how late they are to the party.